The reading is taken from the book of Nehemiah, chapter 12, and beginning to read at verse 27. Dedication of the Wall Nehemiah writes, When it came time for the dedication of the wall, they tracked down and brought in the Levites from all their homes in Jerusalem to carry out the dedication with exuberance. Thanksgiving hymns, songs, cymbals, harps and lutes. The singers assembled from all around Jerusalem, from the villages of the Netophathites, from Beth Gilgal, from the farms at Jeba and Asmatheth, the singers had built villages for themselves all around Jerusalem. <clears throat> the priests and Levites ceremonially purified themselves, then they did the same for the people, the gates and the wall. I had the leaders of Judah come up on the wall and I appointed two large choirs. One proceeded on the wall to the right, toward the Dung Gate. Hashiah and half the leaders of Judah followed them. Some of the young priests had trumpets, and some were playing musical instruments of David, the man of God. At the Fountain Gate, they went straight ahead, up the steps of the city of David, using the wall stairway above the house of David to the water gate on the east. The other choir proceeded to the left. I and half the people followed them on the wall. The two choirs then took their places in the temple of God. I was there with half of the officials along with the priests. That day, they offered great sacrifices, an exuberant celebration because God had filled them with great joy. The women and the children raised their happy voices with all the rest. Jerusalem's jubilation was heard far and wide. That same day, men were appointed to be responsible for the storerooms, for the offerings the first fruits and the tithes. They saw to it that the portion directed by the revelation for the priests and Levites was brought in from the farms connected to the towns. Judah was so appreciative of the priests and Levites and their service. They, along with the singers and security guards, had done everything so well conducted the worship of their God and the ritual of ceremonial cleansing in a way that would have made David and his son Solomon proud. That's the way it was done in the olden days, the days of David and Asaph, when they had choir directors for singing songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. During the time of Zerubbabel and Nehemiah, all Israel contributed the daily allowances for the singers and security guards. They also set aside what was dedicated to the Levites 
and the Levites did the same for the Aaronites. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, so we are continuing, as always, it seems, <laughs> our series on Nehemiah, but this is the penultimate sermon on Nehemiah, and Tom will give the final sermon on Nehemiah next week. You have that to look forward to. Um, but as we start, I want to ask you a question, and that is, I wonder what the best celebration you have ever been to is, um, and I wonder why that celebration in your mind is the best. Can you... Turn to someone next to you and have a little chat about what is the best celebration you've ever been to. Describe it a bit. It's okay. Okay. It sounds like you could keep talking for the whole... Do you want to just do that? Should we just talk about the best celebration and then... I'll just... I'm stuck out. <laughs> Very good. Um... I love the energy, can I just say, this is completely not related to what I'm about to say, but I love the energy that we have in church as we are gathered back together and we are, we are stepping everything up a gear and just really being present when we come. And I think that sets an expectation for what we hear from God and, and what we give to God. So I just want to say uh, thanks to everyone that make, is making that happen and that's all of you. So um, yeah, it's great. Uh, I think my favourite celebration that I've ever been to would be my wedding. Um, at least that's what I thought uh, until I realised the best celebration I'd ever been to was my grandparents' 60th wedding anniversary. Um, celebrating their 60 years of hard-won love. Of, you know, they've gone through many changes and challenges and triumphs and there is something very beautiful about that. So mine comes a close second, but um, yeah, theirs was better. And, and today I wanted to start by sharing a story of celebration. Uh, and I was going to tell you about a time when I was five years old. Uh, and I had my, I think it must have been my first ever birthday party with all my friends. And because um, I would have just started school, so it was like quite exciting. I have a December birthday. In fact, it's next week, if anyone wants to know. Um, I forgot. <laughs> I forgot when you're doing the birthday pencils. Um, and and uh, one of my favorite things uh, when I was five, and maybe even now actually, um, is party rings. You know those biscuits? And in the 1990s, they were really full of colour and, and probably e-numbers. And I absolutely loved them. And my mum had prepared a plate of them for me, um, or at least I thought for me. Um, and, and then when I went to have one at my birthday party, they were all gone. I know. This is the story I was going to tell you, uh, that I spent the rest of the party crying, uh, because I didn't get a party ring. Um, I don't think really my values have changed too much, to be honest. Um, if the cake's all gone, then you can find me in the corner. Um, but, but actually, as I looked at the week that we've just had, uh, and everything that's been in the news, I didn't really feel like telling you a story of celebration. And actually, when I had to dance up and down the church with that shaker, I didn't really feel like celebrating but as I approached this passage and tried to unpack what it was really about um, I think actually it doesn't matter that I don't feel like celebrating and if that's you here today if you don't feel yet like celebrating because this pandemic seems to just bite at our heels constantly if you don't feel like celebrating that's okay but 
how we feel has nothing to do with whether we worship. Okay, How we feel has nothing to do with whether we worship and who we see God as, what we see God doing and what he has done. And I wonder if you felt that this year. You know, we came out of the lockdowns and there was this anticipation of we're going to celebrate together and we're going to gather back together. But for me, in those moments, there was a deep sense that I still didn't quite feel like that. We were gathered back together and it was great and I was so thankful, but it didn't quite tick the box because there is still so much going on. So I wonder if you found it hard, therefore, to give thanks and worship this year. We um, have moved through Nehemiah uh, at not really a rapid pace, I'm going to say that, from the front. Tom's away, so... Um, <laughs> just kidding. Um, but it has been unpacked absolutely brilliantly by our preachers. Can we just give uh, everyone that's spoken on this a little round of applause because... It's, quite good. it's good it didn't sound like a cricket match, you know, that would be... A little concerning. It's good feedback for our preachers there. Um, it, it's, they've done so well. It's so hard to unpack this story and actually uh, reflect it into today's culture because it was so long ago, but they've done so well. And what we've learned as we've gone along is that Nehemiah's heart was broken. That's how we started. Nehemiah's heart was broken at the devastation of the walls in Jerusalem. And what seemed like a calling that was foolish and impossible, has taken a journey of overcoming. He got the king's permission, he got the king's army by his side, and the arrival in Jerusalem to rebuild the walls in the midst of devastation, he did. And the gathering of his people, he did. And he got them to get stuck in, and everyone had a purpose, and everyone had a job, and everyone had a moment to be present in that story. And we've learned that Nehemiah was a great leader. He had that vision and he just kept going with that vision because God had put it in his heart. And he saw how different things could be, even, even when opposition looked set to come against him. He held on to that vision that was placed in his heart. Sorry that you're not having as much fun as the kids in here. Nehemiah was gritty, he was determined and he was honest and he led his people through the hard times, through the hard work, through the hard graft until they were excited for the future that they would have and encouraged and renewed. And the work wasn't easy and it didn't stop and there were attacks from the outside and there were attempts to discredit Nehemiah from within his own community and they were foiled and they'd been tired and they'd been on a low ebb and they'd been risking their lives and they'd been fed up and they'd given everything they had in spirit and resource. Does anyone here feel like that today? But brick by brick, tools in hand, together they finally rebuilt the walls. And there was one thing left to do. Worship. They were singing and dancing on the very wall they had sacrificed so much to build. What a journey. And as I read Nehemiah, it was a bit of a spiritual tug for me to realize that I needed to raise my eyes and fix my gaze on Jesus. To recognize that, yes, the Israelites were celebrating, but not without really acknowledging that the journey they'd gone on before with God 
was tough. But they worshipped anyway. Not without feeling the calluses on their hands from the hard graft of building a wall. I don't know if any of you have built a wall. But again, when I was quite small, we had a house extension on my house. And I laid five bricks. uh, And I had a blister from five bricks. And so I can probably... I'm just going to guess that their hands were pretty rough. But... um, what you probably don't know as well is that that wall was 15 to 20 feet wide. That's why they could dance on the wall. I don't know if you noticed that word. He got them to get up onto the wall. So they were really feeling it at this point. But they looked at their hands. And they looked at the wall. And they gave thanks to God for all that he had given them. And this was the posturing of their hearts towards God. They could look at everything they had gone through and focus on that, or they could take that and posture themselves towards God. We find that those who had poured blood, sweat and tears into the building of the wall were now dancing on it. There is something very powerful in rejoicing over something that is hard won. I think that is why my grandparents' 60th wedding anniversary is my favourite celebration. Rejoicing over a vision that you have with gritty determination and holding on until it comes to pass. Recognizing each part of the journey and being in it together. And we know that there's been heartbreak and we know that there's been sacrifice and we know there's been resistance. And there's been times when people would have just wanted to give up, but they have stepped up and they have cracked on. But we see in this moment that that has led them to heart-led worship of victory. Not because their lives are absolutely easy and brilliant and squeaky clean, but because it's hard won and because it was God. And this takes us to what the heart of worship is really about. We learn from Nehemiah's unpacking here that there is an importance in purity. As the Israelites come to worship, give thanks and celebrate, the priests and the Levites, the Levites were like the worship leaders, they're like the Roddy of the time, okay? They purify themselves and they purify the people and the gates and the wall itself. But what does this mean today? To purify ourselves when we know that we live this side of the resurrection. Surely we are made pure in Christ and that is enough. And we are, but we are called to be in relationship with God. Not simply an exchange, but a relationship. And relationships, much like my grandparents, require honesty and intimacy. And so when we bring our sin before God and ask him to purify our hearts, he turns to us and he says, you are already forgiven. But what's happened in that moment is a moment of connection, a moment of relationship. That's why we actually start at the beginning of all our services with a confession. It's to purify our hearts before God, before we worship. Note as well that they weren't going to purify their hearts and purify the walls and purify the gates. They weren't going to do that just because they'd had a hard time. They were doing that because they were about to celebrate. So in the good and the tough times, you come before God and you give him everything you've got. You posture yourself towards God. 
we learn the importance of purity. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. He forgives us our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. It says that in the New Testament. And we learn to celebrate. It begins with who God is and what he has said and what he has done. And we must recognize that when we come to worship. It is about God and God only. God and God first. The Israelites recognized the goodness of God, that God had been at work since the beginning. As they got on with the gritty stuff, the laying of bricks, God was doing the work of making a way where there was no way. They celebrate because they worship. And the more you worship, the more you will find there is to celebrate in the goodness of God himself and not in the circumstances that we have come through. And we learn to give thanks, yet another posture towards God, acknowledging God's gifts and giving thanks for them. is a public expression of their immense gratitude to God. And we learn to dedicate. The Israelites offer themselves in dedication. They offer what they have. They surrender all that they are and all that they have to God and the work that he has for them. Even now, even after they're so weary from the building, they're still giving of themselves to those around them and to God. It is our whole selves that we give. We don't separate ourselves off. At work, I can be this person and I'll give only 5% of myself at work and just make sure I'm just nice to everybody. And I'll give 100% of myself at church to make sure I look like I'm giving everything. That's not what God calls us to. It's It's our whole lives. It's our whole heart. Paul writes, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. We learn from the Israelites to dedicate our lives to God. But none of this, none of this worship happens without remembering everything that we've already heard about in Nehemiah. This is the the moment that we've got to, but so much has gone before. So what is the context that this worship happens in? What is it that we've seen God doing through this whole narrative? We see God's transforming love and power in Nehemiah's heartbreak. We see God's transforming love and power in the lives of those around Nehemiah. We see God's transforming love and power even when Nehemiah faces resistance and engages in this battle, the spiritual battle around him. We see God's transforming love and power when the people of God step up to the role that God has placed in their heart. Or perhaps the role that somebody else said, this is you. This is your role. This is the thing that you can do, that you can bring. We see God's transforming love when they celebrate. We see God's transforming love when they worship. And as we've unpacked this series Nehemiah's journey reflects some of our rebuilding as a church. This is why we entered into studying Nehemiah. But as a leadership, we recognize that whereas for Nehemiah, it is the physical rebuilding of a wall. Our walls are okay here. We don't need to lay any more bricks, but perhaps it's the spiritual side of our existence that we need to rebuild. For us as a church, it's the rebuilding of our gathered faith. 
our gathered community, and for some of us, the rebuilding of our trust in that transforming love and that transforming power of God. As I said just now, they celebrated on the wall. Um, I'm glad that today we didn't have to climb up on the roof to do that dancing with the kids. I would not have liked to uh, write the risk assessment for that one. Um, They had climbed up onto that wall, and I can tell you that that was an intentional act as a community. That was their choice of how they were going to worship and celebrate. But elated as they were, I can't imagine every single person had the energy to climb up onto that wall. So when we gather in community, can you tell what would have happened? They would have pulled each other up onto that wall. It wouldn't have mattered what each individual was feeling. They wouldn't have been cast aside because they weren't quite there yet and they weren't quite ready to celebrate. They would have been gathered up in the arms of the community, brought up onto that wall to celebrate, to sing, to dance, to play the harp, which I'm also sad we didn't have this morning. Although maybe I can't actually play the harp, so perhaps that's a good thing. Um, And so they would have brought them up onto the wall. So when we're in community, we hold each other. It doesn't matter if you feel like celebrating. What matters is that we are together and we hold each other. Some of us will be over the moon right now for various reasons, and that's good. And some of us won't feel like that right now, and that's also okay. But when we come together and worship together, we hold that sense of thanksgiving, that sense of celebration, that sense of dedication together. And we move forward together and we sing together. They had hard-won battles that they had fought together and they weren't going to leave anyone behind. They recognised the journey they'd come through and that perhaps not everyone was feeling the same. But still, they worshipped and they celebrated together. Celebrating who God is, giving thanks for what God has done and dedicating their lives in thankful service. Can I ask this morning that you reflect on the last year and holding in mind all that you have been through and all that you are going through, how you feel and recognising where you are at right now. And I'm going to ask some questions to help us do that, that reflect on Nehemiah and his rebuilding of the walls to help us move through our journey to a place of thanksgiving and dedication for all that is to come. You may recognise the questions. Can you see God's transforming love and power in your heartbreak? Can you see God's transforming love and power in the lives of all those around you? Can you see God's transforming love and power even when you face resistance and engage in the spiritual battle? Can you see God's transforming love and power when you step up into the role that you've been called to do and respond to the vision that God has placed in your heart? Can you see God's transforming love when we come together to celebrate? And 
can you see God's transforming love when we worship together? The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. Can our rejoicing be heard far away? Are we filled with the hope of the resurrection and the hope of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ this Advent? Amen.